live from the empire of lies, an oasis of truth, open debate, and free speech in the vast wasteland that is the new world order under Joe Biden. I'm Lee Strahan, and this is The Backstory. So we're halfway through the week. It's always weird when we have Monday off as we did this week for Labor Day. How you doing, Rod? I'm doing well, Lee. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. But like I say, think about it. It, it seems like we just got started, but we're halfway through the week, right? Yeah, no, that's true. That's definitely true. And Congress is back in session. Did you even really know they were gone? Uh, I did. I forgot who, which one of our guests was on and talked about them, you know, uh, taking another break. So, yeah, I, I didn't know they were gone. But they're back. And it doesn't seem that, that different. It's blah, blah, blah. And they're trying to get a new spending bill passed by the end of the month, which undoubtedly Republicans being as weak as they are, they're going to get. And it's going to get more Ukraine spending, among other things. And they're also trying to put in there making same-sex marriage, codifying it under law, which they'll probably get. I don't know if it's necessary, but they'll probably do, do that because I don't think any Republicans are going to really vote against that. Do you? Um, that's a good question. I'm not 100% sure, Lee. Uh, maybe, maybe a handful. Maybe a handful. So if, if they do it, I believe it will be on constitutional principle, right, that we shouldn't codify something like that into law as opposed to being opposed to gay people being with the person that I love, to put it in Democrat terms. But yeah, uh, that's, that's how I would see it, that, you know, just the, the legality of making it into law. And that stuff's important, I would say, when you're elected representative sworn to uphold the Constitution. I would say, but we have entire branches of government that don't care about the Constitution. And we'll talk about that in a second. On the show today, you have a couple of great guests for us. In the first hour, Sonia Van Den and she's coming out from Moscow. And she's been at a press conference about the Ukrainian kill list. Is that right, Rod? That's correct, Lee. She was just recently at a conference with uh, another, uh, Ava, Eva Bartlett and uh, Russell, Bentley, uh, Russell Bentley, uh, two, two people I recognized. And this kill list, have you heard anyone in the mainstream media talk about or admit this, that the Ukrainian government that we're supporting with billions of dollars as a list of citizens, non-military people, it wants to kill, including the basis for Pink Floyd? No, not at all. The, uh, you know, unfortunately, when uh, Daria Dugina was assassinated, um, you know, they would the media immediately came out and said, well, it's the daughter of Putin's brain. So pretty, you know, pretty much they were saying that that's what she gets. That, and that's, that's as much as we've talked about the kill list in the, in the mainstream media. And apparently there's a lot of people out there who didn't care for any, any albums Floyd did after the wall. Because if you could care less if Roger Waters dies, I guess you didn't like the Division Bell. That's another album, Rod. But, uh, Wanting to kill the basis for Pink Floyd is weird to me. 
Now, by the way, did you see that Russia sanctioned some people recently, including Sean Penn and Ben Seller? They didn't want them killed, but they just wanted them sanctioned. Did you see that, Rod? Yeah, I did see that, Lee. Yeah, I did see that. And I'm surprised no one sanctioned him after Zoolander. That's what I'm a little surprised by. Then, in the second hour, we have the great Ted Rawl. And we'll talk about some of the worldwide protests. And I'll talk about those with you, Rod, in a second. Rod, what is the name of our show? You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Well done. So, uh, if you look up, I noticed yesterday, if you look up on Twitter, Prague or Czechoslovakia, do you know what's happened? When Jason Goodman was on yesterday, I guess, and you looked up Prague and Czechoslovakia, you could find the giant protests. And you saw the protests, right? 100,000 or more people filming the square in Prague against NATO and pro-Russian neutrality, right? You saw yes. that footage, correct? Yeah, I did see that footage, Lee. And then um, I think I saw, I don't know when it happened. I think I believe it was over the weekend as well, in Germany as well, protests. Now, if you type in Prague, Czechoslovakia now, what you'll find is hundreds of accounts. And I'm willing to say I think they're bot accounts. Elon Musk, you're right. Bot accounts have posted footage from the Prague Spring in 1968 when the Soviet tanks came into Prague. So in other words, they put footage up so you can't find the footage of the recent protests. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense, Lee. And when I Googled it yesterday, which would have been after the show, after the show, I only found one article that admitted that the protests were about energy. And it's amazing. People need to watch out for this. This is the way this censorship works. I call it the needle in the haystack. What they do is they drop a haystack. You know, if you have hundreds of bot accounts and you can have them all tweet out footage, you can basically own the search space. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, you're reshaping reality. Right. You're hiding what's actually going on. And this is what they're doing. They don't want people to see the giant protests because they don't want people to see that worldwide, in many countries, people are saying no to the New World Order. And people in France, we'll talk about that with Ted, people in France and Czechoslovakia and other places, Germany, are rejecting NATO and the EU. Are you seeing that, Rod, that people are saying, what is this EU? We didn't know the EU was a, a suicide pact, and they're wanting to opt out. And they don't want people to see, because people in England might get the idea that they should protest, or in Spain. I think that's what's going on. What do you think, Rod? No, I'm 100% with you, Lee. And uh, uh, like I said, I saw footage of in Germany, and I saw a, a few Russian flags. And I don't think it was like 
you know, uh, we love Russia. We want to, you know, it's just, I think it was just like you said, neutrality. Like we don't hate Russia. We don't want to fight with Russia. We want, you know, we want commerce. We want to do business. We want energy from Russia. So, you know, the, but you, 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 you go back to the politicians who want to sanction uh, Russia and, you know, pretty much uh, the ethnic cleanse parts of Ukraine that are, are uh, that have a unity with Russia. And so, you know, these politicians are crazy. And finally, the people are kind of waking up and hopefully they can uh, stay on the path. And I would say the way people can fight that is find the original footage that happened this weekend and share that. Everybody should share that because the only way you can fight against this sort of needle in a haystack censorship is by tweeting out the footage yourself. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. But Twitter does another thing, Lee, where they'll they'll take, like, a video, like, that protest, and they'll make it sensitive content. And, you know, you'll have to click on it, like, twice to see it. So that, that's how, that's another way they uh, finagle and make it, you know, so you, you can't really see this stuff. Yes, it's, it's really evil. And, by the way, it's obvious what they're doing. And it's obvious... The day before, I saw no footage of that, of the black and it's. You can tell this footage because it's black and white. It was shot in the 60s. And you can see it yourself. Go to Google and do a search for Czechoslovakia or Prague. And it's hard to find the footage of the protest. You have to go way down. But you'll see a lot of black and white footage. So, so we have Sonia on. Let's take a short break, and then we'll talk to her about the kill list. This is coming up and more on The Backstory. the backstory and now joined from moscow by sonia vanden and a great journalist we've talked to many times sonia how are you doing today hello lee thanks i'm fine thanks to be your show again it's great to hear from you now by the way how's everything in moscow today nice day yes nice it's a bit cold here <laughs> but yeah the rest is okay it's nice as usual it's everything quiet here good peaceful Yes, and I, I assume there's no lines for food or anything. Do you see? <laughs> no way. Right, and there's no fear of that. Now, Sonia, you were at a press conference about this Ukrainian kill list, the peacekeeper list, right? Yes, that's right. I was there yesterday with uh, some other journalists who are on the list as well. So, yes, we are on this list, and we were invited at... Uh, Ria Novosta and in collaboration with Sputnik. So, yeah, that's quite a good conversation there. Right. And I'm glad to see Sputnik's doing stuff like this. So tell us about what you learned at that conference. First off, for people who don't know about it, tell people how would you describe the kill list? Well, it's a list. It's uh, actually uh, it's from the Ukraine, uh, but it's in collaboration with the CIA and I presume also with NATO. That's what uh, 
I said yesterday as well. This list was already established, I think, in 2014 or even before that time. It's a list uh, designed by the that time Ukrainian fascist government. And everybody who had visited the Donbass uh, had been put their names on the list. And it became even worse and worse until now in 2022 when the special operation started and Europe is saying we are at war. They are at war with Russia. So everybody who's going to visit the Donbass is on the list, like yeah, Daria Dugina was. So yeah, that's actually what it is. And it's in collaboration with NATO and CIA. Now, what did you learn at this press conference? Well, I learned that all the people who were there are on the list, that we are, uh, many of us are on the list, some of them already since 2006 or 16. There was a French lady who is in the Donbass since 2014, so I presume she was on the list since 2016. And some of them had death threats, uh, some of them not. I luckily don't have any as yet. I hope it will stay that way, of course. But this conference was for Mia Terrada, and she is trying to put to shut down the list. This is her aim. But first of all, to get all the journalists who are on the list to get them from the list. And the most terrible thing I heard is, and but I knew this already, that there are also children on the list. So that's awful, of course. It's that's horrible. Yeah, I saw a 13-year-old girl. Right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. She's from Luhansk. She is a writer already, very good on her in her age. And she's wrote a letter to, I think, the EU. And um, if I'm correct, to the French president to ask to shut down uh, the list or get the children off the list because all the children, the addresses are also on the list. So that's, of course, very horrible because, you know, as, when the addresses appear on the list, is what happened with the journalists who got killed, then they, yeah, they can kill you. So they can kill these children. It's not done. Now, there are a lot of organizations around the world that say they're dedicated to the protection of journalists, right? Mm -hmm. All yeah, kinds sure. of organizations. Have any of those organizations that say they're for protection of journalists spoken about this list? Any of them? Mm -hmm. <laughs> None, especially not in Europe. You also, in my country, you have one, and no, nobody speaks about it. Nobody in in Western world, you know, Europe or the US, I suppose as well. Nobody speaks about it. Nobody is telling, oh, what awful journalists are on the kill list, and nobody. Only now they try to do it for us in uh, Moscow, and I'm very grateful for that. That there's at least there's one organization here who is protecting the journalists who are working here. But in Europe, no, nothing, nothing at all. Now, are people more nervous, people like Eva Bartlett, since the murder of Daria Dugina, since she was assassinated, blown up near Moscow in a car, and she was on the kill list, and afterwards, after her murder, she was marked as liquidated. Are people more nervous? Of course, we are all more nervous. I mean, like me too, when you go out of the house, you look around you, left, right, try not to have the same routine as you did uh, as you did have before. Of course, you have to, I don't know if it helps, but you watch out. And uh, yeah, I don't have a car here, so that's yeah, good thing I will not have a car. 
But still, people get, yeah, all the journalists get very nervous. But yeah, like I said, there's one French lady from the Donbass. She's living in Donbass. She is used to it, she says. She, has, she owns a car, so every day she is looking underneath her car if something is wrong. But of course, we all get, yeah, a little frightened, a little nervous. Uh, not too nervous, I think. We should not do like that because that's their aim, to make us very nervous. But yeah, we are. We are nervous. We are more careful. Let's put it this way. Now, in, I think in many cases, the people, they're not even advocating for a special military operation, but they're advocating for the people of Donbass, right? These are people who were put on the list before the special military operation for telling the truth, for interviewing people in Donbass and letting them say what they think. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, a lot of people, like myself, I'm reporting about special operation, of course. So I'm, yeah, we are more target. But there are people who just trying to, yeah, maybe on the humanitarian side, just speak to people, what is going on there with them, and what did they experience, you know, all these years because it's a war since uh, 2014. We know that. So it's people who are on the humanitarian. Maybe they bring humanitarian aid, and this they are also on the list. Like what I said, the children, a lot of other figures are on the list. Politicians, you name it, they are on it. It's yeah, it's terrible. And for instance, it's 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 very terrible that it's in combination with NATO and CIA because it's actually a CIA kill list. Of course, it says on the name the right hand side, it says Langley, Virginia. Now we know what is there. Huh? Langley, Virginia is CIA. Now, was this press conference, did they have any idea what they can do about it? Is there any plan of action? Because it's, it's really stunning when no one who, who, who's in the West and says they're in favor of journalists being safe, when no one speaks up about it, it's very frightening. But is there any plan of action in place? Yes, there's a plan of action. They want to bring it uh, before uh, the European Union, the European Parliament uh, in Strasbourg for the, you know, for the court there. Yeah, but this is what they, I think, trying already uh, since 2014. And uh, a lot of people voted in the European Parliament that this list should be shut down. But there was no plan of action. So I hope this time that this plan of you know, because there are more people on the list, of course. But, yeah, I have my reservations about that if this is really going to happen. Because if the if this list should be taken off, is it should be taken down, it should be happening in the EU, I think. Also the US, of course, because there is... But I hope, because this is the plan that it will become for the EU again. So the EU Parliament. But let's hope, wait, see... That somebody there has the nerve or has the reality to say that this is not okay. You know, we are so-called democracy here in Europe, so we cannot have people on a kill list, especially not journalists. And it's a form of terrorism. I would say it's pure terrorism because, it, you know, everyone on it is in fear for their life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And I think somebody called it yesterday, it's like a mafia list, you know, like a hit list from the mafia. Because all these politicians turn out to be some kind of mafia members, the mob, right? they call it in the US. It's terrible that Europe is ruled by a mob, by a mafia, and whoever is speaking against them or speaking 
you know, about this, these terrible things that are happening in the Donbass, you know, you are on the kill list. Just imagine this. It's it's totally insane. It's criminal. That's yeah, what we all thought there. And it cannot be like that. It, it has to stop this madness. And this is not the only form of retribution. Journalists telling the truth about Donbass to face. In your travels, Sonia, have you come across a British bald gentleman named Graham Phillips? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, sure. I've had an interview with him. And this is an awful thing what happened to him. He's been put on the British sanction list, so that means all his property is confiscated, his bank accounts are closed, his money has been taken, and if he will come back to uh, uh, the UK, uh, most likely he will be getting and will get in prison straight away, or maybe get at least a court case. But I don't think they even have the decency to give somebody a court case anymore. So it's horrible what happened to him. He cannot go back. He cannot return to to England. It's it's. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. And then the, the new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, personally has talked about Graham Phillips, correct? Yes, that's correct. He also mentioned her somehow in his videos. And yeah, this, they call him an enemy of the state, a terrorist. I mean, how low can you get? I mean, this is a crazy type. Anyhow, how can you... Can uh, She can be Prime Minister of... of the UK, I don't have any words for it, you know. This is, yeah, it's unbelievable. The, the West is, you know, they've come so low now. It's, it's unbelievable. It's crazy. No, th- that's right. And I think it's disgusting. And by the way, Graham Phillips has a great video on YouTube yesterday about Liz Truss going after him with these sanctions. But this is somebody who's been in Donbass for years. And again, what they do, people like you and people like Graham, they don't make up things. You interview people who are on the ground there, right? Yeah, that's right. We don't make any fake stories or, you know, try to say, oh, we are now only for the Russians here. No, that, that, that that's not the truth. We are going there, we speak with the people, and we do a honest reporting of what is going on, what is happening there, what we see, you know, and... This is what we do, and this is why we get punished for, because they don't want the truth to be out there. This is the whole thing. That's why they do it. And they don't want the people of Donbass's stories to be out there, because—and again, that's—you know, one of the things you can do as a journalist is give a voice to voices. You know what I'm saying? It's one of the, mm-hmm. the sacred things anybody can do as a journalist, is take people who are not represented— who, who do not have a voice. And I would say that is clearly true about the people of Donbass. They do not have a voice. And people giving them a voice are now under the threat of either sanctions, like Graham, but murder, literally mm-hmm. on a kill list that no one cares about. Now, what, what kind of questions were uh, people asking at the press conference yesterday, Sonia? Well, they, uh, of course, asked the usual questions, since when are we on the kill list? Well, we all had different stories, why we are on there and when. Now, why is obvious, we, because we were in the Donbass reporting. And uh, how uh, how do we cope with this? How do we, uh, yeah, how do we go on in our normal daily life? And uh, yet a lot of people found it very, very terrible that we are on the list. And yes, what 
maybe they told us, can you, you know, do anything about it? In, for instance, your country, where you come from. And I told them, well, I'm from the Netherlands. It's the most globalist country in Europe at the moment. They collaborate with the British. So MI5, MI6 and NATO. And so, yeah, there's... They don't listen, not even one politician. Maybe there will be one who's maybe, yeah, maybe try to listen, but he will get threatened as well. So this is the whole point, you know? It's so the people, yeah. It's, it's now, somehow not... the truth does get out. Because did you see the protests in Czechoslovakia and Germany and France this weekend, Sonia? Yes, I saw it in Prague. I think about, about 70,000 people, if I'm not mistaken, were on the streets. And I also follow closely uh, the Germans and, of course, my own country, the Dutch. The Dutch also had a demonstration uh, Sunday. And the Germans now have the same thing they do. They did with the COVID, uh, you know, COVID thing. They're going to walk every Monday and maybe even more. And now the left, the Linke, and uh, the right, so that's the AFD, are united. So that's actually unique in history. They are united and they are demonstrating, well, every week. So I hope this will open the eyes of the politicians, which will not. But this is what it has to be this like this way, you know. They have to unite because the people, the 99% of the people, they have the power if they unite. And it's only maybe 200 or 300 people who are sitting in parliament. So, so let's hope that it will be uh, a very... Hot autumn, let's say that. Because people are telling me, even though RT and Sputnik are banned in Europe, people are telling me they can still pick it up, either using a VPN or a service like Odyssey. The truth is getting out there, slowly but surely. Yeah, sure, because people, what you said, they use VPN. And yeah, there are also ways, you know, to get your information. So... Like me, I was I put it on Twitter all the time and when I see a documentary or when uh, the president here in Russia had a speech or when something happens, I will put it on Twitter and it usually goes through other ways, you know, not through RT, but some people have different uh, YouTube accounts or Rumble. So there's always a way to uh, to get it to the people. And this is very, very important that they know what is really going on here that they know what is really going on in uh, the Donbass. And slowly but surely, uh, the people will know more. And through your channel, of course, here, that's that's how we should do it. You know, this is because we have to get the message out there. No, and I feel it's really important. And I feel as a, a journalist, this is an important issue. And any journalist who's not talking about this, I want to know why. I want to know why you're not talking about this. Being opposed to kill list doesn't mean you're in favor of this special military action, right? People can oppose it. Mm-hmm. Sure. If a journalist is saying, I don't like what Putin did, and I don't like Putin personally, they can still be against a kill list for journalists. And that's what I want to say. Being opposed to a kill list for journalists is not advocacy for Putin or anything like that. So where's your humanity? Where's your sense of ethics? Would you want to be on a kill list? Yeah, you're completely right. Because even what you said, if you're against Putin, you're against military operation, you're against Russia, doesn't matter. But journalists should not belong on a 
killers, like children, what they put it on. That they should not be like that. This is not uh, this is not human dignity anymore. This is not normal. This is not done in democracies or whatever they say they are. This is not done. They should stop this. They should remove this. And we have to have a, a good, you know, constructive dialogue between people who are against it or people who say, okay, it's okay. And this is not happening. There's like, I always say, we have a digital wall again. In the early days, we had the Berlin Wall, we had a stone wall, and now we have a digital wall, a digital information wall, and it's getting more rude and more terrible by the day. The Western elites and the, even the journalists are beyond words, you know? I think a lot of them are bought journalists, we know that. But this is the reality, unfortunately, in 2022. Now, how many people are on this list, by the way? What I heard, around 5,000 and, um, yeah, about 70 journalists. Uh, but it's getting more every day. Uh, politi politicians are on there. A lot of people, of course, from uh, the Russian military. So what I heard, around 5,000 now. No, let me point out that I think actually the number is everybody everybody's on the list because this can't everybody who's a journalist knows if you tell the truth about things if you take if you want to interview people in the dumb bus let's say you could end up on this list anybody who reports on this stuff the fact that roger waters is on there is nuts mm -hmm. and yeah i know you agree that this is having a chilling effect on journalists it's designed to threaten people to not look into the truth. Sonia? Yes, it's, it's, you're right. It's, it's actually horrible what you say. Roger Waters is on there. Uh, uh, the Prime Minister of Hungary is on there. Uh, Kissinger is on there. It, it, it's crazy that they put everybody on the list who is against them or say something wrong about them. Well, it tells you something about the regime in the in the Ukraine, what they are actually. They are a fascist regime and everybody who's not complying with their truth is on the list. And maybe I tell you something else. I was on a special, um, you know, I'm going always with the military on these uh, tours. And I was there, there was a journalist, actually a politician from uh, Latvia. And today I heard the news that when he uh, returned, he was arrested straight away at the border. He's been put in prison without seeing any lawyer and without uh, any, yeah, without any contact. But an opposition member there from a political party heard the news, so he put it in the newspaper and it was uh, given to me. So this is Europe, you know, 2022. We are back in the fascist times when the Gestapo also uh, rounded up the people and put them in jail when you are from an opposition political party. This is what is happening. And the Baltic states are very terrible in that as well. Maybe like Ukraine. Go. In that video, Graham Phillips, he was in Donetsk, and he was talking about what struck me is Graham Phillips was talking about his love and respect for the people of the Donbass. And he, it seemed heartfelt. It seems like he really has a lot of love and respect for the people in the Donbass. And I know they seem to love him back. When one guy saw it was Grant Phillips, he wanted to get a selfie with him. Do you have a sense from being over there that, again, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but does 
that that emotion come over you at all of love and respect for the people of Donbass, Sonia? Yes, it does. And you don't put any words, uh, words in my mouth, but I, I, I give you a few examples. I was in uh, Volnavaja, that's the totally destroyed uh, small city. And I was standing there at the hospital, which was also destroyed. And there was an old lady standing next to me and she told her story. She worked as a, a nurse, I think, in this hospital for 30 years. Even her house was next to the hospital. Now she told me this story about Ukraine and she was so happy you know, that uh, finally she could tell her story and that to uh, somebody from the West because she didn't see anybody from the West there. And she told me, please tell the story that, you know, what is really going on here. And this is, I, I always remember this lady. It was the first time actually I went to, uh, yeah, to this uh, small city. I came back to three times afterwards. But, but the people are so happy that you are there and that you finally... You know, they, that I listen to them. That's what with Gray and Phyllis is the same. We listen to them and we are getting the truth out of what really happened there. And this is the people are very, very grateful for this. I, I feel that, yes. No, no, and it's very moving. And having covered stuff in Beirut, for instance, when you talk to people, they ask you, please get the word out. And if you notice, do the people in Davos you talk to are they aware of the skill list? Uh, yes they uh, some of them are i think i i'm i'm not for sure but maybe i think maybe school teachers there but also you know people in uh, the local government there of course because they are the enemy they are the enemy of uh, ukraine not really ukraine of the us and the west of course because we all know there's a proxy war going on so yes and you some of them are for sure the, the the government in Kyiv has already assassinated people in the streets, Ukrainian politicians, right? They've killed people mm -hmm. that they oppose very clearly, and they've shut down political parties, and everyone knows that over there. So, you know, it's important when we talk about them not to exactly call them the Ukrainian regime, but the Kiev or... Zelensky regime or the U.S. backed regime, because they are killing Ukrainians. The people of Donbas are Ukrainians, right? Yeah, they kill their own people. If you think about it, uh, you know deeply, because Ukraine supposedly is one uh, country. So if you kill your own people, even though they are from the Russian minority or whatever the minority they are, you still kill your own people. It's like in the U.S., you kill the Indians or. In, in, in Europe, you kill, uh, yeah, we have people from Suriname or somehow, and you kill them because they don't want to uh, collaborate with you or they don't want to speak Russian. They, don't, they, are, they are the opposition. Every country has its opposition, but you're not going to kill them. Then you are a criminal regime. You are, yeah, mafia criminal regime. This is what they did in the Second World War. Now, Sonia, we talked about the protests in Prague and Germany and France, but you're Dutch. What's the latest on the Dutch farmers' riots that have been going on? Are those protests by Dutch farmers continuing? What's happening in the Netherlands? Yes, you don't hear it so much anymore in the in the news, of course, but they still are in protest. Uh, the government still wants to say, yes, we have to do it because we have a nitrogen problem. So we go along, we send you somebody to talk with, but, you know, 
our plans are our plans and you can talk and but this is what is going to happen so what they do is they uh, every village small village they turn the flag upside down and that means that's an old custom in the netherlands that uh, we are in revolution so they are still in revolution and still trying to, to get the message out there and last uh, sunday there was a demonstration but for sure we will see a lot a lot more coming days and weeks so when you've talked to people in Donbass, has anyone said to you, let me try to get this across. When I was in Beirut, some people basically said to me, what is the U.S. doing? They couldn't believe that the U.S. was supporting al-Qaeda. But it was obvious to them in Syria that the U.S. was supporting al-Qaeda. Does anyone in Donbass, they probably had a, a warm place in their hearts. They believed the the U.S. believed in freedom because they've seen movies like Top Gun, right? Has anyone mm -hmm. said to you in the Donbass, basically, what's the West doing? Where they thought that the West believed in freedom, but they're kind of confused when they see what's going on. Does that make sense, Sonia? Yeah, yeah. I was in uh, uh, in Donetsk city and I had visited a school there, primary school. It was one week or two weeks before it was attacked by the Ukrainian, uh, yeah, Azov militia, I think, but or, or, or the normal military. And there was the school teacher, the head, the head of the school, actually. And I had a short interview with her and I told her about... Uh, uh, the West, uh, that I want to say that, that what happened in the West, and uh, maybe if we get the story out, then it will be better here. And she said, no, once America and the West is still doing this, it will not get better. We, are, we don't have any hope, any belief in the West anymore. They preach democracy, freedom, but they are destroying here schools, and, you know, children are traumatized, and school teachers are killed here. Three of them, I think, they were. So... Yeah, this is people know who is the perpetrator. They know it's it's the U.S. behind it. And they know NATO, the Europeans, are always the allies of the West. So they know. Now, let me ask you personally, has this affected your view of the West? Are you shocked by this? As you, you've seen it develop over time, and no one in the West seems to care about journalists being murdered. Yeah, actually not, because, you know, I was in Syria. I uh, I wrote something, I think it was uh, one or two years ago, that I all believe, I have, my beliefs in the West are gone. And this has happened what in Syria, actually, because I knew that, you know, the US and Europe was, uh, what you said, supporting Al-Qaeda. They even trained them, uh, the white helmets, the people there were desperate, they were ch their heads were chopped, everything. And everybody knew that the U.S. was behind it. Kambuka, you know, where they released Daesh, uh, ISIS. So I know from that time, they didn't put journalists on the kill list yet. But OK, it's the next step. You know, they go even further because they know now they are on the losing side. It's what uh, President Putin said here. The unipolar world is gone. That's a multipolar world. And they, they know they are maybe desperate. These regimes everywhere are desperate. They want to keep this old colonial ideology and they are the masters of the world. So they, you can see when they do all terrible things right now. So surprised? Not really, not really surprised. No, in my experience, 
in Beirut in 2013 was the same thing. I got to find it. I interviewed Louis Sacco, the Patriarch of Babylon, and he basically, you could tell in his voice, he was confused. He was like, what is the U.S. doing? Why are they backing these people? And uh, Sonia, it's always great to talk to you. You stay safe. And don't just stay safe, but have fun. Have a nice meal. Have some vodka, something like that. Sonia, thanks for talking to us on The Backstory. Thank you, Suli. Thanks a lot. Okay, have a nice time in Moscow. Though Sonia Van Den End. And I'm so disgusted by my own country. And I'm a patriot. I love America. When it stood for things like opposing the murder of journalists. But we'll take your calls coming up on The Backstory. back, Troy, and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390, in Washington, D.C., the capital of the Empire of Lies and the Empire of Threats. So, Rod, great interview with Sonia. I always like talking to her. But, you know, I really empathize with her because she said she learned her lesson in Syria. And me too. When I went to Beirut, I've said this before, the truth wasn't hard to find in Syria. All you did was you went up to people on the street and asked them questions and said, who are these guys? And they'd tell you. It wasn't hard. Reporting in Donbass is the easiest thing in the world. I challenge any journalist, go over to Donbass and simply ask people questions and try to find someone who gives you a different answer. And they're not saying it because they're Putin puppets or anything. They're saying it. You know, Graham Phillips was talking in that video about a woman had been killed the previous day. The Ukrainians launched a missile in the center of Donetsk. But, uh, Rod, do you understand? It, it's very depressing as someone who loves their country, as someone who believes in American ideals, this is exactly the opposite of everything we're taught that the U.S. should believe in. Do you agree? 100% Lee. Uh, 100% I definitely agree with that, Lee. You know, one thing that will be interesting and uh, should be paid attention to is, is how they're going to write this in the history books. Are they going to, you know, propagandize it and make it seem like Russia's the bad guy? But, um, we, you know, we got to stay dil- diligent and um, get this information out to the people. Because, you know, a lot of, uh, I mean, a majority, a majority, majority of Americans have no idea what's going on and how, how heavily we're involved. And that's why I think it's so important that I, I'm doing the work that I do. And, of course, I'm just one person. But uh, uh, despite the health problems I had, I really feel passionately that this is important. And also, believe it or not, let me try this on you, Rod. I think this shows why defending Julian Assange is so, so important. Do you agree? Yeah, no, I've always, you know, always been a supporter of Julian Assange back to, um, 
I don't know why the uh, the that video he put out of the uh, striking those civilians in Afghanistan. I believe I can't, I can't remember why. Oh, collateral damage. Um, you know, when collateral damage came out, uh, you know, I remember how the media covered it, and um, I think they were caught off guard and they didn't know how to cover it. And uh, then you know, Obama came in, and then after that, it seemed like you know there was they just switched. It was just a switch. You know, Julian Assange just became an enemy. And, you know, ever since then, and I mean, now he's in this Belmarsh prison, who knows what his health is like, uh, who knows if he can even remember things. I mean, he's been isolated for so long. So who knows if he can coherently even remember what he was what he was uh, investigating. Now, let me say something that some people are going to, you know me, you've listened to me, uh, you've worked in the show now. How long has it been, Rod? A little over a year, year and a half? Right. So am I an anti-Trumper? Am I anti-Donald Trump? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. But I'm realis- realistic about him. So let me ask this question, because I was thinking about it last night. I see a lot of Trump people come out. And did you see the rally that he did in Pennsylvania after Joe Biden's red speech? Did you see that rally? Yeah, I did see. I did see it. I believe it was in Wilkesbury, not too far from where Biden ended up doing a rally with maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm being generous. Maybe 100 people were there. He fills up stadiums, Lee, and he has he has a, a cult following and a, this mysticism around him, like he's just going to save us. And I, you know, I don't adhere to any of that stuff. He's he's a man like any of us, and you know, he falls to the easiest thing. He falls to the easiest prey, like uh, celebrities. You know, if a celebrity gets around him. He forgets about his base and he adheres to that uh, celebrity. Yeah. And for for instance, he brought in Kanye and then Kim's now doing videos for Hillary, right? Correct. So, yeah, so that doesn't make sense. And he was, you know, he was boasting about, you know, Kim's Kim and Kanye are my supporters. But now look, look who's Kim's behind. And, you know, Hillary Clinton said she's not going to run for president. No, no, no. That's what she said recently to CBS. But, you know, I'm, I'm calling it Lee. She's going to say that she's the super, she's the shero, and she has to come save democracy. She has to run. Exactly right. And in my personal life, no matter how my divorce has gotten, how bad it's gotten, there's no point at which my ex-wife was hanging out with Hillary. So small blessings, Rod. That's pretty bad. When your ex is hanging with Hillary, it's trouble. Agreed? Right. Well, you know, I was told, uh, or I, I had read that Ivanka and uh, Chelsea were good friends. So they are. You know, yes. I, yeah. So Trump's just surrounded by this stuff. Even Kimberly, go, go, uh, I can't pronounce her name right now, but uh, she's with one of his sons. I believe it's uh, Don Jr. Kimberly Gofoil. They, um, Gavin Newsom's ex-wife. Like, how does that? How does that work? You know what I mean? How do you? How do you present that to your base? Like, oh yeah, this is Gavin Newsom's ex-wife, and you know, and now she's a Trump supporter. And. So I'm going to argue that Trump has been very bad at protecting himself. Have you seen this stuff Bob Barr is saying lately? Oh, yeah, Bill Barr. Yeah, Bill Barr is on Fox. Yeah, Bill Barr, yeah. Yeah, he's pretty much, you know, all in on this, uh, uh, you know, Trump's guilty. He's had these documents. Uh, I know you're talking about that clip where he said he could just stand over the boxes and say this is uh, declassified. He said that's ridiculous. You can't do that. And so, you know, uh, Bill Barr's on Fox pretty much champion that Trump is guilty. And we, we have that clip of if, if, uh, Rick Gates, just to let you know. Yeah, yeah, we, that, this is a setup for that. Let's run that clip. Let's listen to B- 
Explain what this is. This is Rick Gates where? On Newsmax, I believe. And he's talking about the the coming indictment of Trump. Yeah, so play that clip. Napolitano on the show earlier this afternoon. Take a listen to what he said. I think that the DOJ has already decided to ask a grand jury in either Miami or uh, or Washington, D.C., to indict former President Trump. And what they've tipped their hands on, the little that they've revealed to the public and what they've shared uh, with Judge Cannon is more than enough to indict him and probably enough to convict him. Uh, Rick, I'm going to want you're going to uh, ask for your reaction to that, what the judge said. Yeah, I agree with uh, the judge, and, and it doesn't bode well for for Donald Trump. And and unfortunately, the way that the law works, and the way that the DOJ can, in essence, you know, politicize the law, which I do believe happened, it is still the law. And some of the actions that you know, Donald Trump took, for example, he should have, you know, probably applied for the special master, you know, the day it happened or the day after. Uh, you know, now that the Department of Justice has already reviewed all those documents, uh, it gives them leads to follow, even if they don't use the documents. So there may be information in there that you know. Enables them to, you know, look at President Trump for, you know, other infractions of the law. Uh, very interestingly, though, you know, the the part that I thought was uh, fascinating was that they're going after him on obstruction of justice. So mm-hmm. while we're focusing all these confidential documents, if that is a charge brought before them, we may never see the light of day of any of these documents because that's a different and specific charge of which clearly they're going after the president on, and I absolutely believe they're going to indict him at some point after the midterms. Now, what that clip tells me, Rod, is that they're going to go after Trump on any charge they can find. That's what that tells me. Because don't forget, when they first were talking about this, they said that Trump had revealed nuclear secrets. Remember that? Right, exactly, yeah. So now it's obstruction of justice. What? They dropped the nuclear secrets. What he's saying, and I think he's right, although I'm not sure if they can hold off until after the midterms. I'll bet they want to indict him now. And the time to indict him, from many people's perspective, might be before the elections. They don't want to wait because the midterms could put Republicans in power. Does it make sense? I don't know. I don't know if they'll wait. What do you think, Rod? Uh, yeah, that was interesting. He said they would do it after the midterms. Uh, I I don't agree with that. I think they want to do it before to set up the stage for the Democrats to win. Exactly right. Because they know if the Republicans take over, they get the control of the committees. And will, I think, impeach Joe Biden. I think if the Republicans win the control of the Senate and the House, they will impeach Biden. What do you think about that, Rod? Oh, yeah, for sure. I agree with that. So let's take a short break. When we come back, we'd like your calls. 202-521-1320. Let's take a short break on Backstory. From the Empire of Lies, an oasis of truth, free speech, and bravery in the vast wasteland 
that is the cowardly New World Order. I'm Lee Stranahan. This is the backstory. And uh, you see why I'm using the term bravery, right, Rod? I think the number one journalistic skill that anyone needs in this day and age is bravery. Not, and some people are literally risking their life. I don't feel like I'm doing that. But you risk things like your career when you tell the truth. If you know, is that right? Yeah, Lee, and uh, you brought to my attention last week this uh, country singer, I'm forgetting his name right now, but his wife put out a post on his... Albisi, I think. I forget his... I'm, I'm not a contemporary country fan. Yeah, me neither. Um, but yeah, his wife put up this post that she was, you know, proud to be a woman, and she was, uh, she was proud that her, her parents didn't do a, uh, some type of transitioning when she went through her tomboy phase. And uh, he, he, his agency dropped him because of what his wife said. And I mean, you know, so now you can't even say that, uh, you know, I'm proud to be a woman and, and I'm proud that my parents didn't uh, transition me because now that's uh, hate speech. And her point was, she went through a tomboy phase. And I think a lot of girls go through that. And now if someone's going through a tomboy phase, their teacher, if you judge by lips of TikTok, or their parents, if they saw something in a drag queen show, uh, might say, oh dear, let's get you a doctor and transition you. And she was merely saying, I was a tomboy. And she, you've seen her, right? You saw her on Target, right? She's yeah, she's, not, attract, she's, a, she's an attractive woman. And she's not a tomboy. She's right. a, she knows how to do her makeup. So, uh, but what I object to is the fact that they tried to cancel her. And she's, in a sense, nobody. She's a celebrity's wife, right? And they dropped him. And that's the frightening world we live in right now. So Joe Biden has said, we're seeing things that are not normal. He's right. But those are the things. Now, Rod, why don't you take us out? You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Sorry about that, Command Central. I forgot we had not boomed. Owl Killer, we're now post-boom. Welcome to the show. Well, let's, let's hope it stays just being a radio boom and not, not a real boom going off. You know, since you brought up uh, Tucker, um, I'm sure you caught how he uh, brought up the hypocrisy of James Stewart um, giving an award at Disney World to uh, a member of the Azov Battalion. I think the cat's out of the bag. Um, they're not, you, they won't be able to cover up the Nazi element if somebody like Tucker Carlson is talking about it. And that just goes to um, the point I was, I, I was trying to make a few um, last week or the week uh, prior that I, I think as soon as you start getting into the colder months, the um, support behind Ukraine is, is going to wane. And you saw it with Salvini, who's he's, – he's, he's like a Nigel Farage of Italy. Salvini couldn't hold on to the, um, the government when he was in power. But he's, the movement he leads is a more nationalist, traditional government as well, who wants good relations between the West and I'm, – I'm glad you brought this up, Al Keller, because I thought the Salvini statement – was as significant as a protest in Germany and Czechoslovakia. That is a leader of a country in the EU and in NATO speaking out and basically 
opt opting out, saying we're not going to go along with this. So keep going. No, that it just to, like I, in my opinion, I think as it gets colder, I don't think the support be, behind Ukraine is going to be there. Um, and I'm pretty sure James Stewart is Jewish. So again, it just goes to show John Stewart. John Stewart. James Stewart was, you know, in Harvey and Mr. Smith goes to Washington. John, James Stewart's gone. Sorry, John. But John Stewart, John Stewart from the Daily Show. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he's he's Jewish. At least he, his family was. I don't know if he's practicing. So just the fact that he's Jewish, how they, they that does not mean that they will not see the opportunity that Zelensky presented to you know ferment the war moving forward. So I I just think. That defense, oh, Zelensky's Jewish, oh, he would never be in bed with Nazis. The guy had to cover his arm up. The guy who was receiving the award literally had to cover his arm up to cover up his Nazi tattoo. So, and that's out. People can find be the a- guy who, you, what you're putting out, Alcala, forgive me, is the guy who John Stewart gave the award to has a Nazi tattoo, and you can find photos of it. It's not hard to find. Does that make sense? And you're right. Look it up and ask yourself why he's giving an award to a guy with a swastika. What is the tattoo exactly? What is it? I, I don't I, I don't remember specifically what the tattoo is, but is it it's the um I believe it's the, the lightning bolt or is it the blood and soil tattoo that he has? Okay, right, right, yeah. I misspoke and said it was a swastika. And I actually don't know that to be the case. So go on, Al Keller. You're right. Maybe. This shows that the whole argument is a lie. No, not. A, but again, like not only that, it's that you're if when somebody like Tucker Carlson covers it, I think he has a little more freedom than Sean Hannity does. Where you know, if if he leaves Fox, you know, wherever he goes, it, he's probably going to do bigger numbers because he'll be unchained. But I, I think when somebody like Tucker Carlson says something, they're not. They're not going to be able to attack him for saying that because then, you, then you're just going to draw people's interest into the the tattoo itself. Okay, why would Tucker Carlson cover this? So they're almost between a rock and a hard place because if they met, oh Tucker Carlson is um, speaking out against Ukraine. I mean T- Tucker brought up the fact that Zelensky has imprisoned journalists. He's imprisoned his um, political opposition in the country. You know, people of the opposition party running against him. So he also brought that up in that segment. So I, I think it. I think it's a. That's a ground. Um, I, I think this will be something where people will be like, okay, this is was a turning point on the information war concerning the uh, the entire Ukraine fight. But you know, you bringing up somebody like that country singer as well. I think I think the Republicans are missing a a major opportunity because they want to play this free market. A business can do it at once type of mentality. Well, no, you can't deny somebody's service because of, of race. And you you cannot deny people's um, you cannot de- deny people's ability to use your establishment because of their political beliefs. If they're not hurting anybody, that, that should be the civil rights movement that Republicans run on. But to get to the quote-unquote free market, which is ain't but free, I, I think that's the well, major issue that Republicans should be running on. Well, the, the broad point I I think you're making is that Tucker Carlson has a lot of influence. He's the most watched person on cable news in primetime. And Tucker Carlson, you, you know what I'm not saying, but I want to see 
I want to see the rest of the conservative media look into stuff Tucker's saying and report on that. I want to see people like Breitbart forget Daily Wire. I don't think they'll ever get on the right side of this. But people like Breitbart could potentially. And are you seeing other right-wing media figures fall? Do you see who was on uh, a Tucker show? That guy, uh, Jackson Hinkle? Yeah. That was a bold guest choice. Definitely. I think uh, Tucker, it, like I said, I think I think what he's also doing with that that other show he does during the week, where he he has the long form interviews for about an hour. I I don't think Fox can do anything with him. I, I think if Tucker really has the chance to be to be the quintessential, uh, I mean, he sort of he's a journalist by trade, but I mean, he's more of a uh, opinion. Uh, you know, uh, anybody that's on one of those shows is given their opinion, but he has the, he has the, he's at the, at the, at the uh, fork in the road where he can really be great and change the direction of American media. If he stays on the hard issues like this, because I know he knows it. I mean, he, the, the whole idea between showing all Alex Jones, text messages with Tucker Carlson is to try to say Tucker Carlson is in bed with the ideas of Alex Jones. And for lack of a better, you know, for any other way to put it, he's right. Tucker and Alex do communicate, and Tucker's very aware of the New World Order. I just don't think he thinks his audience is ready to hear what's really going on. Or his bosses. I think he's giving a lot of rope at Fox, but that will end at a certain point. If he reported on Genie Energy, it would be all over for him. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, Genie Energy really could bury you. But then Tucker Carlson goes and creates his own—I don't think Tucker would would create— a joke like um, have or debtor. I don't, I don't think he would create something like that. I think he would actually come up with, you know, they're talking about somebody that's been in journalism for 30, almost 40 years. I, I think he would come up with a legitimate platform and not, not a Newsmax or something like that, where he could give voices to people like Alex and himself. I think he would be bigger if he went away. Imagine, I mean, T- Tucker broke with Trump numerous times. If you don't remember, I think Tucker um, told him, you know, you should listen to your voters instead of the people that are telling you to go, uh, you know, assassinate somebody like uh, Soleimani after he did it. So, I mean, I I think Trump, in a sense, really does respect Tucker. And I think he that would be a person that Trump might put money behind and to create a, a news, you know, a whole another news agency itself. So I, I think firing him or shutting his show down will only make him bigger. And I give him a lot. He has a lot of guts to be taken on the people he is. Right. And, and I'll mention one thing. Tucker is a deadhead. You know that, right, Al Kelly? He's a fan of Grateful Dead. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And people who aren't into the dead need to understand that the Grateful Dead is anti-authoritarian. There's a very good documentary series called What a Long Trip Has Been about the dead, and they talked about how they weren't always on the right side. They supported the Panthers, for instance. But the Grateful Dead is strongly anti-authoritarian. And I would say Tucker is demonstrating that anti-authoritarian tendency. Do you agree, Alan Killer? Yeah, d- definitely. And I think that's why where he's had the, has had the awake. I think he was willing to go along for years, and he did. But when he started seeing the 
the crackdowns on the American way of life. He can't recognize the, he can't recognize the state he came from, and he definitely can't recognize the country that we're becoming with our authoritarianism. And that's what he brings up, and that's why he went over to uh, to Hungary to meet with uh, Viktor Orban, who you know they call a right wing fascist and everything else. If I, I would suggest anybody in your audience, if you like the um, interview that Alex did with uh, Alexander Dugan, li- listen to the to the two-hour interview that Tucker Carlson did with Viktor Orban, and then you, you'll see how they came out of communism, how they decided to stick with traditional, traditionalism and free, actual free market, low taxes, and the traditional family. I mean, I don't, I don't think a, a mother pays to, I don't think, a, I think they give 100% tax-free to uh, women that have uh, two or more children. It's, it's, almost like what Putin uh, did when he was trying to bring up the birth rate in Russia. So I, I think that's the side that, that took a lot of guts. And, you know, Tucker was trying to get an interview with Putin. He probably could have done it, but it, because of the optics of the, the whole war, it was going to, you know, I, I think he shied away from it, but he should have, he should have gone and done that interview and let, but hear Vladimir Putin in his own word. You know, I, I, I think that that's why they're, they're terrified of Vladimir Putin because, he communicates very well. You know, I, I have issues with Putin and some of the things that I, I don't agree with that's going on in Russia. But he tell, he knows he knows the players. He, he knows what his country. Well, I'm curious, Al Killer. Let me stop right there because I'm curious. Like what? Name name something you personally don't like. I don't. I wish that again. I'm not faced with the decision that he was faced with concerning you with the whole Ukraine situation. I wish the war didn't happen, but I know why he did it. I can, I, I would say more of, I wish that it didn't have to get to the point that it did because I'm, I'm anti-war unless it's the last resort. But I, I know that his, that he kept saying for 15 years, I got, I mean, the WikiLeaks uh, emails are out of um, the, C, the current CIA director saying in 2008, when he was the ambassador to Russia, Russia is, they're worried about the encroachment on on their border from NATO countries, and they would be faced with. And I mean, I could read it out to you word for word what he said. But where the the current CIA director is is when he was the ambassador to Russia, saying that Russia will be faced with a dilemma: do they respond militarily if we can encroach on their borders? And that's what they're fearful of. So I guess it's maybe I I can't really say. I just I just wish things had gone down differently. But, you know, where I mean, he's in his he has he knows what he's up against and he knows what the powers that are approaching him really mean for his country. And they don't want him there. I think they want Putin out of power and they, you know, they want to go back to the 90s and take, you know, take over the energy that Russia has. And then they'll be done with the green energy. They'll be it'll be oil forever. And I think that's, again, anyone who's anti-war, I'm sympathetic with. But I think Putin did wait. I think it was extraordinary patient. And I think you're open to that argument, right, Al Killer? Oh, yeah, de- definitely. Again, like I said, I'm not faced with, I wasn't faced with what he's faced with. So I'm looking at it from an American perspective. But I, I understand that the guy warned for 15 years, stop, stop, stop. We want to be friends with you. Stop. And, you know, he, you know, it was clearly, the ideas were clearly met, uh, made to him that, Hey, you know, we're not here to be friends with you. And, you know, we don't agree. You know, we're, we want to see you overthrown. They're, they're complete. They, they don't, they're not, uh, right. they're not subtle with what they, they want him out of power. It's, it's clear. It's a clear, it's clearly 
their move. Like, they don't want him there. They don't want to respect him as a, you know, a leader of a country. They want him gone. So I get, he doesn't. Well, Al Killer, Al Killer, great call as usual. I got to move on because Therese online. But I want to point out something. Let me say something to all you cowardly journalists out there. You heard me on live radio. I'm live on the air. And I asked Al Killer what he objects to Putin on. I didn't know what he was going to say. He could have said anything. That's the freedom I have. You don't have it. You cowards, you don't have it. I have the power of freedom working for Russian-funded media. So let me point that out. Because I'm, I'm sick to death of these co- uh, bots and cowards I see on Twitter sometimes. And they don't phase me. Look, with the stuff I've been through, trust me, a bot accusing me of being a Russian Putin puppet is the least of my worries. So 202-521-1320. Our friend Tarif. Tarif, what's on your mind? Yeah, I have a comment on uh, when the Republicans will take over. But first, I'd like to say free joining signs. So that's the question about that tattoo that, on that man's left. It was on his left elbow. It was a, um, it was it resembles not a spider web, but they call it a spider web. But it's the, uh, but the actually the name of it is the Black Sun. Neo- right, right. I was going to say the Black Sun. Yes, yes. It was they used it in World War Two. The Ukrainians, Nazis used it in World War Two, and I think some German regiments or brigades or maybe a division used it as well. But it's a, it's actually an occult symbol. Right, is a cult symbol. There's a lot behind that, dealing with Nazism. And Nazism itself, you know, with the Aryan, all that is basically anti-Christian. Most people don't even know that. You know, they got a lot of Baphomet, devil worshiping, Lucifer stuff in it too. You know, um, and the way you're describing it, I can see where that would be a good tattoo for an elbow, because it kind of wraps around. Does that make sense? I'll go on. If you're going to have a tattoo on your elbow, it needs to be something that looks like it belongs there. But thanks for filling us in on that detail. Forgive me, Tarif. Tarif, thanks for filling in that detail. Now, what's on your mind, sir? What did you call about today? Well, I brought this up on your show before, but I need to bring this up again. You know, watching television, and I saw a news report yesterday about when um, they were doing an investigation in Chicago dealing with the voting machines, when they had some GOP people that went there and did an investigation on the voting machine, right? And how the news spent it in a way of if these GOP computer analysts was actually messing with the machines, right? The thing is this. Check this out. When the Republicans win, what I, uh, I'm pretty sure they will, they can cause hell for the uh, Democrats. They can look at, they can start calling witnesses for the Jeff, Jeff Epstein list, all right, people that's on the list. They can have FBI people. I feel they're going to start leaking out more information because they're going to be feel, believe those in the CIA and FBI are going to be more safer with the Republicans in control. So they're going to start leaking out more information, right? And they're going to start hitting the uh, Democrats on different things, giving the DNC the deep state on different things. And what's going really going to upset the DNC is when. I feel to believe they look at the elections in Pennsylvania, uh, what else, in uh, Georgia especially, 
when they look at when they look at those machines, when they look at the machines, talk to people, give them, you know, on a on C-SPAN time to explain themselves about what they found in those machines, about those documents being, you know, um, what you call that, um, copied and things of like that. Then that's going to bring attention to that. You never know; they might start up a case where they might bring it to the Supreme Court. So, you might have a whole bunch of stuff happening in 2023. Well, you might have the Supreme Court might step in. I know I'm going way on the left field with this, but that's why you see the the Democrats right now is panicking, and they're trying to do everything in their ability to keep the House and the Senate, which they're not going to keep because the next two months, the price of gas is going to go back up. China's about to dump a whole bunch of money into their economy, which is going to cause inflation. Then it's going to cause inflation over here, and it's going to price a few going to go up. And Russia, excuse me, OPEC Plus is taking 100,000 barrels of oil off the um, um, market. So all that's going to affect the Democrats coming this November the 3rd. So when the um, mayor, and what's her name, um, Green from out of Georgia, man, that, that woman have so much stress on that chest right now she's trying to get off. And when they take over in January the 20th, he might be the first one to say, hey, let's take a look at the elections in November the 3rd. Um, um, 2020 elections. Let's take a look at that again. You know what I'm saying? And I won't blame them because I want to see what happened. But they got to be done fair and they got to be done just. You know what I'm saying? And also look at that just Epstein list and to find out what's going on behind that and reform the FBI. Thank you. And that's in the CIA. Thank you. That's all I want to say today. Great call as usual, Sharif. Now, I got one more clip here. And what you're going to hear, this is a press conference with a person from the IAEA, the nuclear watchdogs at the UN. And you'll hear a question from an audience member, a reporter. And what you hear for an answer is not, what are you talking about? There's no Ukrainian attack. Listen to this. Let's play that clip. Hit it. Russian Defense Ministry today. It's about the IAEA mission, the Zaporozhia nuclear power plant. Russian Defense Ministry today stated that uh, the Ukrainian group of saboteurs tried to uh, attempted to um, seize to capture the station in order to use the mission as a human shield. So they were neutralized, according to the Defense Ministry, and uh, the officials of Russian Defense Ministry express bewilderment. I quote, uh, due to the lack of reaction of the the U.N. Secretary General to this incident. Do you have any reaction in this regard? You know, we're, we are glad that the Russian Federation did what it needed to do to keep uh, keep our the, the inspectors uh, safe. I think uh, our security people, our drivers have done a tremendous job in getting uh, the IEA inspectors in. Um, they will continue to support the mission until it ends. And it is... Um, like with any UN uh, mission, it is the responsibility of those uh, in um, uh, who have uh, power over a certain area and who are responsible for a certain area to keep uh, UN staff uh, safe. Now, Rod, was the guy telling you without coming out and saying it? He did not come out and say yes, Ukraine attack. But I think he clearly, you, you see what I'm saying? He didn't deny it. And he could have denied it. What did you think about that, Rod? Yeah, no, that was definitely as clear as possible. The um, 
obviously he didn't come out and say, yeah, Ukraine was, uh, you know, doing all this and, 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 and planned all this. And also, you know, um, he also didn't, you know, this reporter didn't mention the video of, of the arrests. But, um, yeah, definitely, you know, he's out there saying that, you know, without Russia, this could have got really bad, real ugly. And some people, I posted that clip on Twitter, and some people were saying lies. Well, you're saying that guy from the U.N. is lying? Who's lying? Be specific. Who's lying? The reporter asking a question? Because the reporter asked an unbiased question. He said, Russia's saying this. He's not saying it's true. I thought it was a good question by the reporter. Because fair. And the guy from the U.N.? I think some people, Russia derangement syndrome is real. And some people don't believe anything about that might be good about Russia. But here's a guy from the UN saying, we thank the Russian Federation for keeping us safe. Well, safe from what? They're gonna be keeping two weapon, two nuclear inspectors. Did you hear that? They're keeping two people over there on the ground. Yeah, I did hear that, yeah. So let's take a short break, Rod. And when we come back, we'll be talking to the great and brave Ted Rawl on The Backstory. the backstory and on 105.5 fm am 1390 in washington dc the empire of lies joined now by artist author and bovigon ted rawl hey ted how you doing i'm good lee how are you doing i'm doing okay so we got a lot to talk to you about but let me mention once again your website is ral.com and you've got all kinds of stuff there and people can support your work. And I mention that because I called you brave. I think you are brave for being on the show. And you appear a number of Splendid shows, right? That's true. So it's, do you find, do you get attacked for appearing on Splendid? I mean, oh, idiots on Twitter or whatever. Yeah, yeah, all the time. Um, there's, yeah, I know I've uh, been passed over for jobs. Um, I know that uh, people have, uh, you know, on an individual basis, people say I shouldn't do it. Uh, I've been attacked on social media over and over. I mean, it's annoying as hell. I get trolled over it online uh, in the comment sections of my cartoons. Yeah, it's kind of an incessant thing. It's, it happens all the time. You know, and it's a different kind of bravery. But, you know, what I do when I get attacked on Twitter I remember I remind myself Assange is in prison and there are people like Dario Dugina who've been blown up and it still is irritating, but I'm not facing the threats to my life and freedom that a lot of people do. How do you deal with that, Ted? You know, uh, Lee, you and I have a very similar uh, point of view of that. Many, many years ago, I was at a flea market and I came across the uh, ID for a man who had been a slave laborer in a camp in uh, during World War II in Germany. He was Polish and had been 
deported there and was forced. And he, you know, there's a photo of him. He just looked awful, like he may have died shortly after the photo was taken. He looked that bad. And I keep that, I keep that card on my desk whenever I'm feeling sorry for myself or I think, you know, my, I've got it so bad. Uh, I'll look at that and I'll think, you know, this guy. Now, this is this is what having it bad is, really. Uh, it's it's about. I think it's really important to maintain, like the perspective about people like Julian Assange. Uh, it really is, um, and so that really does help. It it, it does it, um, and you know, fortunately, um, I kind of just don't really. It's irritating, but not irritating enough for me to change my mind or to care. And the thing is, one thing that has never happened is that someone who I respected criticized me for appearing on Sputnik or uh, contributing cartoons to Sputnik's website. No one I respect has, or I thought was you know, smart or smarter than me has ever done that. So therefore, it's kind of a little easier to brush off. If it was someone who I thought had an intelligent opinion and good ethics, uh, you know, I, I might, it, it would probably get to me a lot more. No, I, I think that's true. And I have the same experience. It's not the people, the people who say stuff like that, I have no respect for them. And what I do is when people raise something, I say, what, what specific thing are you talking about? What have I said that's incorrect? And I've not had one person ever point out something that I'm saying specific. It seems like these people are just going along with the crowd. I don't also put it. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think it's, look, I think it's, it's, a, it's like McCarthyism. It's guilt by association. Uh, you know, it's like if you're, uh, you know, if you're on, on Sputnik, then, you know, you are, uh, you know, a, a, a tool of uh, President Putin and Russia. You don't think for yourself. You're a propagandist. And, of course, that argument completely falls apart. Uh, because every media outlet has some sort of corporate or government interest behind it. So, you know, no one would say, no one said that to me when I appeared on Voice of America, even though obviously that's state media. Nobody said that when I appeared on BBC a number of times. That's also state media. Nobody said that when uh, I appear on, uh, I've appeared on like uh, CNN uh, or even Fox News. Um, you know, people still, they accept. So it's kind of like the list, the, the criteria of what is like considered an, a non-acceptable or an acceptable uh, place, you know, among polite company to appear on is, is really, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's very hypocritical. It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, one thing I always say is, uh, you know, my, my phone, uh, CNN has my phone number. They can call any time if they want me to come on, you know. Uh, Sputnik yes. News gives me uh, a, a place to talk about the things that I think and believe. So, um, you know, that, that's great. And also, it's uh, it's always a great conversation with you, Ted. And I generally enjoy talking to you. And the reason why is I'm a person who actually likes civil disagreement. If there's no, if we exactly agree on everything, I might as well talk to myself. And you identify politically as a communist. I don't agree with that, but I like talking to you about it. And I've learned many things from you. Over the, You always give me things to think about. And I like that because I like being smarter. Do 
Do you do you take the same attitude? No, I, I feel exactly the same way. I mean, I do a podcast uh, with uh, Scott Stantis, who's a uh, conservative Republican cartoonist for the uh, Chicago Tribune, and uh, we're aside from doing the podcast, we're we're best friends, but we have very civil disagreement. It's spirited, but we respect each other. Uh, we like each other. Um, you know, where it's it's we you can totally two people ought to be able to have very different points of view and not talk over each other or insult each other. I mean, once you're doing that, you know, you're, you're fighting, you're not arguing. And then at that point, communication has effectively ceased and you've both become idiots. No, that's right. Now, I got a lot of stuff to talk to you about, including the protests that happened recently in France. But before that, the governor of New York announced today that she's canceling the mask mandate on public transit. What do you think that means about the efficacy of masks? Is she saying something without saying it, Ted? Well, I think um, it's possible that that's what she's after. Um, I think this, my first thought was that it was a recognition of reality. Um, Roughly a third of New Yorkers riding the subways uh, don't, have not been masking for months, um, just based on my own personal experience. And uh, the buses are maybe like, it's, it's maybe like a quarter haven't been doing it. Um, the buses are tend to be an older demographic, so that might be why. But it's kind of like, you know, uh, it's like prohibition. The government kind of loses credibility and looks silly when they have a law or a rule that they don't want to enforce and that nobody wants to see enforced. So I think that's part of it, too. Uh, the timing's a little curious because everybody's anticipating uh, you know, maybe a, a slight uptick in COVID as the weather gets colder, but I, I'm all for it. I, I, you know, I think the masks um, are not really doing a hell of a lot. And let's not forget the fact that, you know, we've never really had real masking in this country because, you know, if we had, we'd be getting boxes of N95s delivered to our door every day by like the Civil Defense Department or whatever. That never happened. I mean, people were making their own homemade masks. People wear masks hanging off their nose. They have cloth masks. I'm guilty of all this myself. Um, So, you know, I I think it's kind of like, it was kind of like a thing that didn't work terribly well. And, um, you know, it's just finally being acknowledged. And New Yorkers aren't wearing masks anywhere else. It's not required in restaurants anymore or in most public spaces. I think Broadway might be an exception. But for the most part, uh, masking is kind of dead. No, I think I think you're right. I think that's a good point, Ted. And it's based on your experience as a New Yorker. When you go down, do you go down in the subway? By the way, you take the subway? Oh yeah, 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 all the time. Yeah. So you're saying a lot of people don't don't follow that? Oh yeah, no, no. The, the subway is my standard form of of uh, transportation, and it has not been. Uh, followed, um, I would say, really in any kind of serious way since, like, spring, really. Um, and so, you know, once once the weather started to get warm, you could just see uh, it come, them come off. Not to mention, you know, they do make you warmer. And when the subways are hot and sweaty, uh, you know, you, it just, <laughs> wearing that mask can just tip you into a higher level of misery. So I think that's part of what's going on, too. Now, Ted... Did you see over the weekend the massive protests in Czechoslovakia and the protests in Germany and France? Did you check those out? No, I'm afraid I, I missed those. Okay. 
The big one was in Prague, Czechoslovakia, and it's hard to find, but because they're burying it, but you can find footage. It's massive. But they were in France. They were also protesting. It was a decent-sized crowd, tens of thousands of people, and they were talking about Brexit. Have you heard people talk about Brexit? Um, I, you know, that's been yeah for years actually. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, buyer's remorse in France uh, for the EU, and there has been for a while. Now, people forget, uh, and I, I remember this. I voted for, I voted uh, against actually. Um, uh, as a French citizen, I voted against uh, the EU, but uh, it didn't pass. Even you know, France and Germany were the charter members. In France, it didn't really pass by a landslide. I think it was like something like 54, uh, 46, uh, if memory serves. So, I mean, the political consensus has never been that strong in France in favor of it. And I think we're, we're starting to see in Czechoslovakia, they made specific, they're saying by the 25th of September, they want the government to resign adopt neutrality in Russia, and they're talking about getting out of the EU. Because being with the EU, these economic sanctions are going to be a disaster for the EU countries. And do you think, at a certain point, the suffering—and I've said, I don't see what the suffering's for. It'd be one thing if people were suffering and they were helping Ukraine beat Russia— but I see no events that, so it's suffering for nothing. Do you know, you it's, this is the this is the one this is one this is the one aspect of this war that everyone agrees on. Russia, Ukraine, and everyone in between agrees. I mean, the the West, you know, the Ukrainians have complained bitterly that the West will not give them uh, sufficient uh, firepower and will not give them boots on the American or other Western boots on the ground to win. They can't win. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows. So it is, it is an entirely pointless project um, where it's all it is doing, the only beneficiaries here are the, uh, are the arms manufacturers who are selling these weapons. But uh, the outcome is not in doubt. And uh, I think that the Czech and other people who and the French who, who point this out are, are right. I mean, it's obvious. Now, let's talk art for a little bit. Because President Obama, former President Obama, was at the White House today with Michelle Obama. And they unveiled his official presidential portrait. You saw that, right, Ted? Is this the—I saw the article. Is this the portrait with the, where he's in the bushes with the plants? No, I was going—but I'm glad you brought that because I was going to talk to you about that. This is a standard portrait. It's Obama in a blue suit standing there. And Michelle looks like she's gone to a prom. She's wearing a big dress. It's, it's interesting. But President Trump did not take place, did not hold the unveiling of the presidential portrait. And I personally think that's a mistake on Trump's part. I think that's petty. You point out the National Gallery, or the National Portrait Gallery, and as that is, I I don't know how else to describe it. Describe what you're talking about, Ted, because I think that's the most amazing 
presidential portrait ever. It's a surreal. Would you? Could I call it surreal? I think surreal is exactly the right word, Lee. So, so um, I forget the name of the artist, but basically, you have the president, uh, former President Obama, and uh, he's kind of like looks like he's embedded into a hedge um, of like basically sort of like uh, if you remember the 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 labyrinth in in The Shining, except no snow, and. He's, and there's just the, the colors of the leaves are, are very deeply saturated green. Um, and, you know, it's it's very strange thematically because it's not like, you know, I remember, I mean, it's not like Obama is known for, you know, camping or his love of the environment or anything like that. He's just there in the trees. I mean, I mean, in the in the shrub. It's 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 very odd. It almost it's not sinister. It's just. It could be something that, you know, an older, like the son of Salvador Dali could have. It's just odd. And it's made more surreal, I think, by the fact that it's photorealistic. If it were done in an impressionist style or something like that, it would just be, well, that's artsy. But I think the fact that it was very realistic looking made it more surreal. Do you agree? Yeah, totally. You can see the veins on every leaf. I, I kind of thought of the work that went into that for the for the artist of painting all those leaves. I mean, you have to go into a fugue state while you're doing it. Yes. And uh, I, now, uh, I didn't understand it in a sense, but I actually liked it. I didn't know what, who he's getting at, what the artist was thinking, but I thought it was a well-painted and well-composed uh, and kind of neat. I don't need to see another picture of a guy sitting in a chair. That was my feeling, Ted. What did you think? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, look, as a political-minded artist, I do expect a, a portrait like that to say something and convey some kind of message. And, you know, I, whatever the message was, um, you know, other than just it looks weird and cool, um, I don't know. Maybe it was there. I, I, I could, I'm sure, do a dive online and find out if the, what the artist had to say. Although I remember reading what the artist had to say, and it didn't make a lot of sense at the time. Um, but yeah, it's cool. It's true. They're, all those portraits look exactly the same except for that one. So, you know, hey, why not? No, right. And sometimes weird and cool is the point. As an artist, do you find that? Sometimes the point is that looks nice, right? Yeah, I've tried to explain that to uh, editors. You know, it's like, well, why did you put this uh, weird animal in the background or whatever? And I'll be like, why not? You know, Seinfeld said... It's uh, it's funny if it bends. And I think, you know, in art, it's cool if it bends. Now, do you agree with me that Trump should not have snubbed Obama for the unveiling of the national portrait? That is petty on Trump's part. Yeah, and not only petty, but, but bad politics for him. Um, it would have made him, uh, I think, look like the big man. Uh, you know, when you're the host at the White House, you're the sitting president, and you bring in the guy who's no longer there— you're always in the position of power, and you would think that Donald Trump, who's obsessed with power above everything else, power, statue, stature, ego, and posturing, he would understand that this would have been a good look for him. Now, speaking of which, we are now in the countdown to the election. I would say now, summer recess is over, Congress is back, the next big thing on the agenda are the midterms. Do you have an updated prediction on what you think will happen during midterms? 
I think the uh, Republicans are still going to take the House and the Senate, but I think that with the House, it'll be a comfortable but perhaps not massive margin. I think that they'll control the House by 15 to 20 seats. I think the uh, Senate will be 51-49 in favor of the Republicans. So that really could tip another way. I mean, and, and, you know, the decisive issue is clearly the excitement, the the, uh, the Democrat voters who are energized by, you know, the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade, dot the, I think it's a massive thing. Um, you know, I think it's sort of, it, it's sometimes in politics, there's a visceral disgust for something that seems to go too far. And uh, it doesn't happen all the time. But I think for a lot of, not just Democratic voters, a lot of swing voters, even conservatives, like the, the, the specter of, like, say, the the, the young girl who had to go from Ohio to Indiana to get an abortion after she'd been sexually after she'd been raped uh, by a relative that kind of thing it just goes too far I think it's a it, the, in this case I think the Republicans are a dog that caught a car and they kind of regret it right now so I I disagree with that because one thing that story it came out it was a lie she, her mother had made that appointment across state lines before the decision was made. So she did not have to go across state lines. As it turned out, she would have. But that story was fabricated in its facts. And I think a lot of Republicans know that. I have not met anybody who's a Republican who's changed their opinion on who they're going to support based on the Roe v. Wade decision. That's me personally. I don't either, uh, and I have quite a few Republican friends, but I do sort of see some hesitancy here. I think these days, very few people are are sort of choosing between the D's and the R's. I think people are people tend to choose more between voting and not voting, and that's where everything goes. And so, like you know, if the weather's crappy and you're less excited about your side, uh, you might decide to just order in and watch Netflix rather than vote. I think that's where there's where there's play. I don't think I think you're right. Like I don't see any Republicans voting for the the Democrat or vice versa. But I do think you might get some Republicans sort of be, "Yeah, maybe I won't show up. Maybe I won't bother. It's only a midterm." And I think it's interesting states like Kansas when it's put up to a vote, they're not outright banning abortion. And I think we're going to sell on most states have abortion available in the first trimester and because that seems the way the votes are coming out in the states do you see that ted i i think i don't i don't know i don't see that in the in the deep red states i think in the deep red states you're going to have abortion completely banned i think um i think in much of the country it will be uh first trimester legal um other states will have exceptions in the case of rape incest uh, you know, life of the mother. But I, I think it's going to be a hodgepodge. But, like, I don't see, for example, Alabama and Mississippi legalizing abortion at all. No, I agree. But Mississippi's obviously got bigger problems, like clean water. So let's go back to aesthetics for a second, Ted. And you believe, believe it or not, it's all going to tie in. I'm going to bring it back to politics in a second. But what aesthetically, Judge Purely aesthetically, on an artistic level, what did you think 
of President Biden's speech, the red speech. What well, was it's up with the aesthetics of that? Forgive me, well, I mean, Biden. Well, first, I misspoke. Well, first of all, yeah, no, Biden. Yeah, um, well, I agree with the whole uh, commentary that it's a very dystopian V for Vendetta. I mean, it's it's like, the, did the people who set up the stagecraft, were they blind? I mean, what is going on? The weirdest thing, it's almost like they did, it reminded me a little bit of when I started using Photoshop to colorize my cartoons, and I used a yeah. lot of oversaturated colors because it was fun, and a lot of gradients just because. But you sort of learn that just because a tool is available to you doesn't mean that you should. And like rule number one of aesthetics is you don't have a deeply saturated background, uh, you know, that overwhelms the foreground. And the foreground in this case is the president. Also, the image of the two Marines at attention, you know, the, the Republicans have criticized that for using the military as a prop. But for me, it was ominous. Uh, from the left, I just, you know, I, I can't even think of images of Hitler or Stalin uh, giving speeches with, uh, you know, that kind of background. Um, it's just, it was insanely, uh, you know, just, just insanely dystopian. And I, I'm sure that what happened there was that the, um, that, that, that Biden staffers thought, well, you know, we're just going to throw every patriotic conceit, uh, in the kitchen sink, into the kitchen sink. And like, uh, you know, we're going to out Trump Trump. We're going to have this be a red, white, and blue extravaganza. We're going to have the we're going to have the, the soldiers there. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but, you know, uh, they, they obviously need to get some outsiders to take a look at it because it looked crazy. But apparently people who heard the speech and on the radio or whatever did uh, came away with a very different impression than the people who watched the speech like I did. Um, I think, you know, it's, just, it's sort of like when Bush landed on the aircraft carrier. Nobody remembers what he said, but they remember him in the flight suit, and they remember the mission accomplished sign. They remember the visuals. That's just human nature. And also, let me point out, as a person with a background in video production, a deeply saturated red, you're told specifically, don't do that. Marshall McLuhan said television is a cool medium. And bright reds like that are very bad for video. Does it make sense, Ted? Yeah, no, that's totally true. Uh, the first time I went on television... Uh, on national television, they were like, wear something blue, um, you know, solid, no patterns, could get more, you, you know, you, if you wear a shirt with stripes, you get more A patterns. Um, so, yeah, they always tell you, that's why most people wear like a solid blue suit and maybe a white or a very light blue shirt underneath. Uh, but yeah, saturated red is, is pretty much the one thing you don't do on television. And for people who thought Biden sometimes acts uh doddering he was on fire not literally but close because of the red but what do you think of his delivery of the speech Ted? we've we've well, gotten the kind of well he looked like a maniac um you know he looked manic he looked like hopped up um i don't know if he had like uh you know, one too many uh three cups of espresso before he went on uh, but it was it was pretty crazy. Um, you know, no sleepy Joe there. It was kind of frightening because it. I mean, let's segue to the content. The you know the, the medium is the message. You mentioned Mar Marshall McLuhan, and the medium was the the state the stagecraft was in direct opposition to the content of the speech. 
the speech basically calls out calls for uh, you know a more moderate, moderate uh, you know tone in American politics. Criticizes uh, Trump supporters for being especially on on Capitol Hill for 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 uh, sort of flirting with authoritarianism and semi-fascism. And then you have these this fascist imagery, like the the, the you know the, the two soldiers it, it was, standing at attention. And you get so this strange. reference. It was as if he said, "Now let's talk about moderation." Meanwhile, here's this picture from Ralph Stedman. You you get what I'm going. <laughs> I do. I do so, know the reference. Yeah. There we go. And I screwed it up because I can't talk sometimes. But Ted Rawl, as always, a great conversation with you. You have a nice week, Ted. You great too, talking Lee. to Ted Rawl. Thank you. And Sonia Vanden and a great guest. And we'll be back tomorrow with more brave journalism on The Backstory. Backstory.